Uh, my grandfather went to uh, heaven when I was just a little boy, so I don't have a lot of uh, memories of him. I think I was just two or so. And uh, the memories I have, I, I'm not sure if they're mine or I was told them or if I even have them right. So, um, But uh, my grandfather was a uh, apparently a, a sweet man, but he loved time. And uh, when he would come to church, he liked his sermons to be about 30 minutes long. And uh, if they weren't, he would uh, walk by the pastor sort of uh, tapping his watch as he walked by. And so I understand loving time. I think it might be in me. I don't know. But uh, if you'll be patient today, I think we're probably going to go a little over time. And uh, yet, I don't know how to make it a much more quick because we are looking at God's word, and God is speaking to us in the scripture, and so this is uh, extreme privilege, privilege for us. If you'll uh, take your Bible and open with me to uh, Luke chapter 8, we are going to uh, look at verses 4 through 15 and uh, talk about the fact that people can be uh, near the word of God, hear the word of God, uh, near the gospel, hear the gospel, and not benefit. And so this is going to be like a warning, uh, a warning sermon. Watch out. Coming to a church where God's word is preached is not enough. Uh, growing up in a home where your parents are faithfully discipling you is not enough. Just hearing the word of God over and over and over is not enough because people can hear the word of God, be near the word of God, hear the gospel, be near the gospel, and not benefit. And uh, first of all, I want to show you that that's possible. I want to do a couple of things. First of all, I want to show you that that's possible. Then second, why that is so scary and, and sad. And third, why that happens. And then a little uh, what difference that makes. But first, that that's possible. Because we might think, no, that's not possible. If people uh, heard the word of God, then they would benefit from it. That seems like how it should work. If I hear the word of God, then I benefit from the word of God because it seems like those things would go together. God's word has power. God speaks. You benefit. Simple, right? Not so simple because people sometimes don't. And when they don't, it might cause us to wonder, you know, about the word of God. If people hear something that is supposed to be the word of God and is supposed to be so powerful and don't benefit, is the word of, is it really the word of God? We can be tempted, maybe, to have some doubts. I know sometimes my struggle with doubts is connected to that, so I can struggle with doubt. I've struggled with doubt, but I don't really struggle with doubt when I look at the word of God, because I uh, look at the world and I'm like, this world is so beautiful. It came from somewhere. Then I look at the gospel and Jesus, and I've seen how beautiful he is and the, the gospel is. I read the gospel, and I'm like, nobody could ever come up with this. There's no one like Jesus, and I've been transformed by him, and I've seen the difference the gospel makes in my life, that obeying Jesus works. And so if it's just me and, and the gospel, it makes sense. I, I love it, but what can be hard is when you go out there and you see people who are around the gospel and they hear the same message and they seem to know the gospel and they just reject it or turn away from it. It's confusing. It's easier, I think, with people who have never heard the gospel or don't really understand the gospel because then you're like, well, they need to hear it or they need someone to explain it to them. And then they'll be excited. But then you meet people who enjoy all that, and, and they don't benefit. It's confusing. In uh, college, I had someone really close to me, smarter than me, uh, a, a former pastor, a relative, a close relative, who could communicate the gospel really well. And yet, he turned his back on it. Slowly, slowly, but then totally. He put up this beautiful picture somewhere recently and, 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 comment, and someone commented, uh, God's creation is amazing. And he was like, that's what you think. Uh, I think it's just amazing how evolution works. 
And it's like, what is going on? What is going on? Is that possible? How is that possible? And of course it's possible because it happened. And it happened not just to this person I, I know or people we know, but it, it even happened back in Jesus' day. In fact, it's, happening, it's what's happening here in this section of Luke. So we're looking at verses 4 through 15 in the parable of the sower where uh, Jesus is beginning to do something a little n- new that surprises the disciples, actually. And they ask him a question about it. And the reason he gives has a little something to do with the context. He's, he's making a transition here to a new way of doing ministry for a reason. And the reason is that he has presented himself to Israel. And so if you go back to chapter 6, let me set this up for you a little because there's kind of a dramatic scene there in verse 17 where Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray and he spends all night in prayer to God and then he chooses 12 men to be his apostles and he comes down with these apostles and he starts healing and preaching and all of that is exciting to us to imagine Jesus doing that but it should have been more exciting to Israel because what Jesus was doing was connected to a story about what God had promised he was going to do through the Messiah. And so Jesus is standing there with these 12 men around him, healing and saying basically, proving actually, I am that Messiah. It's like, look, look at me. Let me give you a taste of the kingdom of God you have been longing for. Here you go. And power is just coming out of him. That's actually how Luke puts it. Power is coming out of him. And then he preaches this amazing sermon about who is going to receive the kingdom of God and who is not. And at the end, he's like, you've got to respond. Now you've got to respond. I've preached and you've got to respond. You can't just hear me. You have to respond. And then chapter 7, we turn to chapter 7, and for the most part, they don't. That's kind of the whole point. Luke tells us that Jesus heals this centurion's servant, and the centurion's not Jewish. He's like us, so he's a a Gentile, and yet he believes in Jesus, and Jesus is amazed. And he turns to the crowd, and he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So good for the centurion, obviously, but bad for Israel, right? And Jesus is presenting himself to Israel. It's like he's offering the kingdom to Israel, And they're not responding. I haven't found this kind of faith in Israel. Where is it? I've looked, but I haven't found it. And it's not like Jesus isn't giving them proof either. He's giving them more than enough proof. I mean, the next story, he goes to pretty much the same place where Elijah raised somebody from the dead. And Elijah was this great prophet in the Old Testament. And Jesus does the same thing. He raises someone from the dead but in a way that proves he's even much greater than Elijah. And people get afraid, and people are amazed, and people start telling everyone about it. But then what? Luke 7, 18 through 35, they're they're back to rejecting Jesus. It doesn't last. It's like, oh, wow. Then, nope. And we get this graphic illustration of just how thoroughly they're rejecting Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, because Jesus confronts them for this. He, he says, you guys, what you're doing is rejecting the purpose of God for yourself, and it doesn't make sense, and it's childish. And then this Pharisee invites Jesus over to his house, and he's got a chance now. He could be like, Jesus, we've really sinned. You could imagine him weeping with the Messiah telling him that, but no, he deliberately instead shows Jesus so much disrespect that there's even a prostitute there who sees it, a prostitute, and she can't handle it. She is so ashamed of how this religious leader is treating Jesus that she's just crying and doing all the stuff that he was supposed to do. And so here we are now, Luke 8, after all that, after this great presentation of Jesus with the 12 healing all these diseases and after this great sermon of Jesus's calling for a response and after all these rebukes and these challenges, it's almost like crickets, you know? It's a a Gentile, it's a, a prostitute, and 
Yet chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus is still giving them a chance. He's so patient. Luke says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And you see, it's like he's going everywhere, Jesus, through the cities and the villages, and he's preaching the message of the kingdom of God, the, the good news, which is the message they say they've been longing for. And yet, who is with him at this point? Who's, who's excited? It's the 12 again, Luke 8, verse 1, and the 12 were with him. And Luke adds now, some women and also some women, which we're excited about because we know it means Jesus is different and accepts all kinds of people as his disciples. That's good news. That's exciting for us. But it wouldn't have been exciting to the people back then in that culture because that would have been like saying Jesus and nobody, basically. Nobody responded, really, especially because, you see, it wasn't just women either. Luke says specifically that it was women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And so this was women, in other words, who had a little bit of shame attached, like Mary Magdalene, who had been delivered from seven demons, and then Joanna, who was rich, but she was connected to Herod, who everybody hated except for people who weren't looking for the Messiah. And again, that's pretty much all. Jesus, the 12, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and some other women. And so that's not much of a response to Jesus raising people from the dead and, and healing and doing everything that the Old Testament said the Messiah would do and preaching. Jesus actually preaching the kingdom of God. That's not much of a response. Obviously, there's a lot of people that didn't, didn't benefit. He's actually standing there. I mean, the word of God is actually standing there. He's speaking to them. And they didn't benefit. That happened. That really happened. It's possible. People can be near the word of God, hear the word of God, hear the gospel from Jesus himself, see all the dots connected in such a powerful way and not benefit. That's scary. And let me show you why that's so scary from this text and, and sad because Look at what's happening again, just to replay this in our minds one more time. God sends Jesus into the world. He comes from heaven, and he's been going around preaching the kingdom of God, and he's been real diligent about this. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, some people tried to stop him, actually, and he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so he's been going pretty much everywhere, all over, talking about the kingdom of God. And in the middle of that, like I said, he's told them they have to respond. When he showed up and started preaching, this was the, the climax of his sermon on the plain. If you go back to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And that's a really clear illustration. I mean, that's not confusing. Jesus even explains it. This is how I want you to respond. <laughs> I want you to hear my words and do what I say. That's how I want you to respond. And I think the next story illustrates because that's what faith does. You respond like that because that's what faith does. I want you to be humble and to believe. True faith sees me for who I am, sees my word, has authority, and submits like the centurion. Do that and you'll be fine. But if you won't listen and you don't recognize that about me and refuse to believe what's coming, what's coming is judgment. Your house is going to fall and the, and the ruin is going to be great. And yet, you know, it doesn't seem like they respond after that. So they're near, they hear, and they do nothing. And then what? Then Luke chapter 8 verse 4 is what? This Huge crowd comes to Jesus, and Jesus tells a short story, and he's like, if you have ears to hear, then hear. And then he's done. 
And we're so used to the story, we miss the surprise. But look at verses 4 through 8 and try to hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time. Verse 4, Luke says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him. So that's people from everywhere, town after town. They're coming to Jesus now. And he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Which we've heard so many times, and so maybe it doesn't sound strange to us. It can be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. This seed means this, and the soil means that, obviously. But that's because we've read the interpretation and heard sermons preached. But for the people listening to that that first time, that's all they got. Just the story. And then Jesus says, he cries out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so imagine they traveled from who knows where, and Jesus is like, good to see you. I'm glad you've come today. Let me tell you a story about a farmer who sowed some seed. And what happened to the seed? And then that was it. The end. And so you can imagine them looking at each other and being like, wow, I, I thought there would be more. I, I know Jesus is a carpenter, uh, but I guess he's really interested in farming for some reason. I mean, what was that about? And I don't know, maybe Jesus did say more, but even if he did, you look at Mark chapter 4, verse 2, which is describing the same scene. Mark tells us that he was teaching them many things in parables, which means that Everything he was saying was kind of like this. And maybe you're like, well, that's just how they taught back then. They liked stories. Everything was stories. And maybe it was a little more like that. Some cultures are more into stories. But even still, we know that this was surprising. And we know that because once Jesus was done, Luke tells us in verse 9 that his disciples asked him what this parable meant, which means they didn't understand it. And Mark tells us in Mark chapter 4, verse 10, that they asked him about this parable when he was alone, which means nobody else knew what was going on either, because it was only after the teaching was done that he starts explaining to his disciples what he was talking about. And they had to ask him to, because it wasn't obvious to them. And actually, his disciples didn't even understand why he was talking like this in the first place. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, again, the same scene, that the disciples came to him and said, why, why do you speak to them in parables? And so this was not normal for them. It was confusing, and it felt like Jesus wasn't being clear to them. And like a change in strategy, honestly. That's why I think they asked him about the parables, because it seemed different. Like he was teaching differently all of a sudden, and so they're a little confused. He had told parables before, sure, but this was different. And so they're wondering, not just about this one particular parable, but about all these parables, and they're like, Jesus, uh, you know, what is, what is going on? Why are you talking like this now? And Jesus tells them what's going on, and this is the part that's a little scary and sad. But first, the part that's sad, what's sad is that they're getting parables now when they could have been getting the secrets of the kingdom of God. Verse 10, Jesus says, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables. And so there's a, a contrast here. You are getting to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're getting parables. And to understand how sad it was for them to be getting parables, you have to understand what a privilege it is to get to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Because what are the secrets of the kingdom of God? And maybe you want to highlight that word secrets in your mind because it's actually the word for mystery. And mystery in the Bible is not mystery the way we think of it. It has a different meaning than what you would find if you looked it up on dictionary.com. In the Bible, mystery is revelation, fuller revelation, actually. The, the word, the concept comes from the book of Daniel. 
And it's used a number of times there in Daniel, but one of the first is where God gives a king named Nebuchadnezzar a dream about how his plan for the future was going to work out, a dream about what God was going to do to establish his kingdom in the future. But it was a little confusing to Nebuchadnezzar, and so I don't know, maybe he understood a little, but most of it was unclear to him. And so he asked for help, and God sends Daniel, and Daniel explains the vision about the future to him, and Daniel calls that a mystery that vision and the interpretation. It was something that was partially hidden and then revealed. And specifically, something partially hidden about how God was going to work in history, his plan for how he was going to fix everything in the end and establish his kingdom that people didn't fully understand. They, they got this revelation, but it was unclear. And so then there's this interpretation, and that's the mystery. The mystery is the key understanding how the whole plan works out that's now being revealed, the fulfillment. I heard uh, one person describe the word mystery as like the secret ingredient in a recipe. So you've got the recipe, but then there's the secret ingredient. It's secret, hidden at first, but it was vital, an essential part of the recipe. And so mystery, he says, is the secret component that people didn't understand but is essential and is revealed, which helps us understand how Jesus is using it here because he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he's saying that he knows the secret ingredient and that he's able to give this revelation about how God was going to work everything out. That's part of why he came from heaven. And he's given that knowledge to his disciples. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, which is this absolutely incredible privilege. You understand? That God sent his son Jesus into the world to preach the word of God and to explain what they needed to know. And yet, even though these people are there with Jesus, around Jesus, it's just the disciples now who are getting to know the mystery. And the rest are only going to be getting these parables. And that's so that's sad. We're, we're, we're so used to parables, and we get the explanation here too, so that's good. But to be near Jesus, who can explain the whole Bible and God's total plan, who's come from heaven, and to only get the parables so that you don't really understand, is sad. And it's still sad that people can be near the word of God. And that's what this book is. It's the word of God. It's this unusual book that men wrote, but somehow at the same time was written by God himself. And God has connected himself to his word. And he's speaking and he's revealing himself here. And he's making it possible for us to have a relationship with him, there's this deep connection between God and his word that is so tight. You look at the Bible and sometimes it says scripture says, and sometimes it says God says. So you read the scripture, you hear it, you understand what it's meaning. And God is speaking to you even now. God is speaking to you through his word and God's word has power. It does all these awesome things in your life, or at least it can do things in your life that nothing else can. It can revive your soul. It can give you joy. It can give you hope. It can answer all the big questions of life. It can give you the wisdom to live a life that is good for you. And yet some people, they hear it and it's just like, wah, wah, wah. I don't know if you remember that Charlie Brown and Snoopy uh, specials, but if you ever watched a Charlie Brown special, when the grown-ups would talk, do you remember the, the sound they would make? It'd be like, wah, wah, wah. They were saying words, but that's what the kids were hearing, and that's the way it is for some people in the Word of God. And that's sad. It's one thing to be starving. It's another to be near food, to sit there at the table with all that food in front of you and to be starving. And that's possible. That's possible. It happened. It's sad, but it's possible. And you know what? It's scary. Because you look here at this passage in Luke, and they did this to themselves. This wasn't the way Jesus started his preaching ministry. This was like a deliberate shift in Jesus's ministry style. Because while Jesus has used some parables 
as he's taught so far, from this point on, it's becoming the primary way he's going to teach the crowds. We have about 40 of Jesus' parables in the Gospels, and most of them come toward the end of his ministry. And so when Luke draws together a lot of Jesus' teaching in one place, it's going to be Luke 14 through 18, and you're going to see the parable of the wedding feast, the parable of the great banquet, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable, the parable, the parable. And scholars will say this was a deliberate shift in the way Jesus preached. And so as we read the Sermon on the Mount, it's different than this. There are illustrations and stories, but not so much parables. And I guess we're so used to Jesus's parables that it seems normal to us, and we think of them more like illustrations. And once you understand a parable, of course, it's powerful and it's a good way of teaching, but that's not why Jesus used them. Look at verse 10, because the disciples asked why, and Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others... They are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And, and maybe bold print, so that, the word so that. Because while, again, we usually think of parables as being for the purpose of making things more clear, Jesus says the opposite. He is speaking in parables so that the people listening wouldn't understand what he was getting at, so that it would be a little confusing, which means this is a, a judgment these parables. I mean, obviously, he's still giving them a chance. He's like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so that's Jesus saying, I just said something very important. And so if you're confused, make sure you figure it out. And you can, because I'm literally right here with you. But you're gonna have to start coming to me now, asking questions, because I'm not gonna be speaking plainly to you anymore. And the reason is, because I have been speaking very clearly. And you haven't been responding. You have been given this huge privilege, and yet you haven't been careful enough about how you've been listening. And so now, parables. This is judgment. And one way we know it's judgment is because Jesus is quoting. If you look at the way Jesus puts it at the end of verse 10 again, he says, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And that's from the Old Testament. If you come on Wednesday nights, you know uh, so much of the, Old Test uh, the New Testament's from the Old Testament. This past week, we said 40% of the New Testament is from the Old Testament, which is why we're going through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. But one big book that you should go through if you're going to understand the Gospel of Luke is Isaiah, because this is a quote from Isaiah, and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, which is part of what makes this so tragic, because what's happening here with Jesus is something that happened before to Israel. It's kind of like, when will you learn? This is literally why Israel went into exile the first time. If you know the story, Israel was kicked out of the promised land and judged by God long before Jesus. And yet before they were, God sent them these men to warn them and they wouldn't listen. And so finally God called this prophet named Isaiah, which is the book Jesus is quoting, and tells him to go and preach judgment. Tell them what is going to happen. But this time it's going to be different, he says, that they have been refusing to listen for so long now that part of the God judgment that God is bringing is that Isaiah would, would speak, but they would not be able to understand what Isaiah meant as he preached God's judgment. God says, they'll hear what you're saying with their ears, but not with their hearts. And, you know, that seems to be sort of a pattern as you look at the way God deals with people, actually. There comes a time when people who have been especially privileged and have received a lot of revelation but haven't been listening and haven't been careful about how they're responding are judged by God. And it's like God says, okay, you're done. I'm going to keep talking, but you're not going to... You're going to keep not understanding. And so the possibility is there for you to repent, but it's not going to be clear to you, and you're not going to be able to hear what I'm saying to you unless you humble yourself and a miracle happens. And it's not because I am ungracious, but because you are stubborn and because you've had all this time and all this opportunity and all this privilege, and yet you've just been sitting there, and it's 
been doing you no good. You're not responding. You don't want to listen. And so what's happening is that your heart is just getting harder and harder as you're listening. And so now it's done. It's hardened. It's stone. And so you'll forever be hearing God's word and you will have this opportunity and it will be like life is right there in front of you. And that yet that great privilege won't do you any good. Instead, it will only bring you more and more judgment, which is scary, obviously. And you did it to yourself because you weren't careful how you listened. You have to respond to God's word and you have to take your responsibility response seriously, which is a point that Luke's going to be making again and again as we read his gospel. It is a privilege, a privilege, the greatest privilege in our lives to hear God's word. But if you don't respond, it's going to end up being a judgment. I tell my children this. I say, uh, it's a privilege for us to have such access to the word of God and to truth but it's also dangerous if we don't respond. It's gonna end up bringing more condemnation. In the future, for sure, the more revelation you were exposed to, the greater condemnation you're gonna endure if you haven't responded. And that's the part we normally think about, but also potentially now as well, we need to know that. And that's what's happening here in Luke 8 with these parables. You need to respond to God's word when you hear it so that your heart doesn't become hardened to the point that this privilege is taken away from you. And look, this is a warning to people who are not responding, which means if you hear the warning this morning, there's hope. Because, you know, we can be funny when we're stuck in sin and we want to make excuses. We're really good at this. And so we can be like, well, you know, I guess if that's going to happen, then it's going to happen. And so if I'm not responding and it's confusing and I don't understand, then that's the way it's always going to be. I guess I'm just the kind of person who's under judgment. Which is like listening to someone say, don't jump off the cliff and then jumping off the cliff. Don't you blame this on Jesus, because Jesus has made it clear that absolutely anyone can come to him. I mean, how could he make that more clear? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. And you look at his followers, and they are what? They are who? Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, prostitutes, people with seven demons, and even they can receive the secrets of the kingdom of God. They can become his disciples. That's the privilege. The good news is you can come. I can come. Jesus is happy for us to come. But look, you've got to come. You've got to come. You've got to take responding seriously. Because if you don't, if you're not careful about how you listen to the word of God, there's going to be judgment. And Jesus told you. There's going to be judgment, which is, which is sad and it's scary, and it should make us ask, how does that happen? How does it happen exactly? Because it, it happens. It happened. It happens. It, it, feels, it feels like there's a lot of people recently actually sort of deconstructing, and we need an ex- explanation. Why does that happen? And, and also, we don't want that to happen to us. Why, does it, why did it happen? If you look at verse 11, that's actually kind of the point of the parable. Jesus is explaining. He says, the seed is God's word. And he's back to this farming illustration. Again, he's interpreting this parable to explain to his disciples why people can be near the word of God and not benefit. And he starts off kind of where we did, actually, by reminding them of the power of God's word. The fact that he calls God's word a seed here says something about this message that we're proclaiming. It has the power to accomplish something. And so God's word's not like a rock, you know, it it holds the potential for life. It's amazing, if you hold a a rock in one hand and a seed in the other, they might look a little little alike, but if you plant the rock, nothing's going to happen. Where if you plant a seed, there's potential there for something amazing, because here's this little thing that doesn't look like anything, and yet you put it into the ground and wait, and somehow years later, you've got this gigantic tree which must have been encouraging for the disciples, right, as they saw so little response to Jesus to be reminded that God's word really does have that kind of powerful potential in it. 
And yet the reality is that just because the seed has that potential for life, it doesn't always produce that, which is the problem we've been talking about. And Jesus wants us to understand why. And if we look down, we see that he talks about different things that happen with the seed. And in each case, the problem's not actually with the sower and the problem is not really with the seed. The problem is with the soil instead, which is important to remember as we're thinking, why does this happen? Because it's not the gospel that's the problem. That's the wrong answer. It's not God's word that's the problem. It's the soil. The problem is in the hearts of people who are listening, which is why you have to think, we all have to think about how we're responding to God's word. Knowing why this happens helps us understand why other people fall away, but it's also a warning to us. We don't want this to happen to us. I don't want this to happen to you. And Jesus gives three reasons it does. First, sometimes people's hearts are just hard, honestly. They're like a hard dirt path right beside a farmer's field. And so in those days, obviously, people walked everywhere, and yet farmers wouldn't want them walking straight through their field because that would ruin everything. And so there would be these, like, three-foot-wide paths running alongside the field where they farmed. And Israel was a dry place, and so there wasn't a lot of water, and so these paths would be really hard, especially with all those people walking on them. And so it's like the sower is throwing the seed out there, and they get some of the seed because they're near the field, but obviously the seed never really goes in because it's just this hard path. Jesus says, verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And it's not really hard to identify the, the problem there because while I'm no f- farmer, even I know that a seed can't do much if it doesn't get into the ground and it's trampled underfoot. Even if it's the best seed in the world, it's got to get into the soil to bear fruit. And the same is true for God's word as well. It's got to get into a person's heart to do any good. And one reason it doesn't get into many people's hearts, even when they hear it week after week, is because their hearts have never really been plowed. You know, they're, they're near the field, but they're not the field. They're like a dirt path right beside it. They're in Church maybe, but their hearts have never been broken up the way a farmer would break up a a field, and so they're just hard. And there are different reasons, obviously, people's hearts can be like that, but one big reason is because they're not thinking very deeply. It's a really strange time in the world right now, I think. It kind of feels like being on the Titanic as it's sinking, and you talk to people, and people are like, "Uh, would you like to play checkers? And you're like, it's sinking. And there's no urgency. And I think maybe one reason for that is because there's not a lot of time for self-evaluation, for plowing the heart, for thinking deeply about things that actually matter. And so you talk about, about sin, and they're thinking about Pokemon, you know? They've hardly ever really looked at themselves in the mirror. And so the judgment of God, the wrath of God, even guilt, People are like, "Ah, okay, but can we talk about a real problem? I'd like to talk about something that's sort of relevant to me. Or even you talk about the fact that you're going to die, which kind of seems pretty serious and obvious. And that doesn't seem like it would take a lot to get people thinking about, and yet people can be like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder what's on TV. And so... Maybe even sometimes they're coming to church, some of these people, because it's a habit for them, and they've always done it. And while it looks like, to everyone else, it looks like they're, they're listening, they're actually far away as the word is being preached. And so it's like the sower is sowing all this seed with all this amazing potential, but the seed is just laying there on top, and they go away from hearing God's word no better than when they came in. And that's dangerous, because Jesus says in verse 12, there is a Satan, <laughs> There is a Satan. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And you remember the illustration he gave originally was birds in verse 5. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and birds of the air devoured it. And he explains here, those birds of the air represent the devil. And he's saying that 
look, as you hear the word of God, it's not just you and the other person telling you the word of God. There's a war going on with these supernatural demonic beings who are like birds flying around who don't want you to benefit from it. And so if the seed just lays there on top, these birds will swoop in and eat it up before it can get into your heart and have the possibility of doing you any real long-term spiritual good. That's one reason people don't benefit from the word of God. Their hearts haven't been plowed. They're superficial. They haven't done any heart work, heart preparation. And there is a Satan who takes advantage of that, which is why we have to take our response seriously. If we're coming here week after week, and you know, even if you're young, you're sitting here in the church service. And even if you're a child and you're like, life is, is beautiful. You're right. Life is beautiful, but it's also serious. And maybe you're listening and you're like, but I just want to play with toys and, and have fun, which is nice, but you're going to stand before God one day. And so you want to ask him, please, Lord, don't let me have a hard heart because you are in a spiritual war and you don't know, but maybe one day it will be too late. That's one reason this happens. The word of God doesn't even get in there. But two, verse six, another reason Jesus gives is false conversion, where the word of God goes in or seems to go in, but it doesn't go deep. Jesus says, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And rock is hard ground too, but it's just as hard really as the path that he mentioned. But sometimes the rock is covered with a surface layer of dirt. And so you don't see the rock with your eyes. If you're sowing the seed, you just see the soil, and it looks a little different than the path in that it kind of looks soft on top. But if you dig a little deeper, it's just as hard underneath. If you ever tried to dig a hole, uh, you hate ground like that, right? The first shovel, you're like, oh, this is good. It's going to get done quick. And then the second shovel, you're like, no, <laughs> it's going to take forever. Is anybody else? Is there another spot? Do I really need this hole? And Jesus explains the significance of this illustration in verse 13. He says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. And so they get excited, which seems exciting to us too, but these have no root. In other words, there's not true salvation. Their nature is not transformed. Though Jesus says they believe for a while, which is interesting and important. And Luke's the only one who records Jesus saying that. But it's possible to believe without really believing to have a kind of faith that's not real faith. And you know that because they don't persevere. Jesus says, in a time of testing, they fall away. Obviously, you aren't saved by persevering, but if you are saved, you persevere. Kind of like something's not a car because it has wheels, but a car has wheels. And so sometimes people aren't benefiting from God's word because they're living this superficial life. Whether well, times they are more serious and they're taking God's word in and it looks kind of like they're Christians, and they maybe had an emotional experience. At one point, they received the word with joy, and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And at first, it seems like God's word is making an impression in their lives. You, you kind of think you see fruit. You know, when Matthew tells this story, he says that immediately the, the seed springs up. And yet, if you look more closely, the impression isn't going very deep. It's all on the surface. As you're talking to them, you think that they're agreeing, and they're like, oh, it's so true. The Bible is amazing. But underneath, their hearts are like rock, and they're like blind men pretending to see, really. And yet, when you're looking at them, you can't tell. It, it seems like their eyes are open. And so you're going on and on about what you're seeing and how beautiful it is, and they're nodding their heads and agreeing. But really, they're not seeing anything. It's just dark in there. They're excited that you're excited, but they aren't responding to Jesus himself, really. And the way you can know that is because the moment some kinds of, kind of test comes into their life, they're like, forget this, and they go back to their, to their sin, which proves their faith wasn't real, ultimately, which is a tragedy, and I'm sure almost every one of us has seen it at one point, or another, And it can get so confusing, right? Because it's like, I, I was sure that person was a Christian. But you know, why does this happen? One reason it happens is because there's such a thing as false conversion, where people get excited for a while and may even, maybe even pick up some of the language that we use at church without having ever really been humbled by their sin and blown away by the kindness of God and not ever really putting their trust 
in Jesus and submitting to him as Lord. And one way you know that is how they respond when things don't go the way they want. Which, of course, is why God allows difficult things to come into our lives like persecution or trials. Because it proves either we really are Christians or, or shows who is not. Third, verse 7, a third reason this happens. Jesus says, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And so the sower is still sowing the seed there, and the seed goes on the soil, it goes in the soil, and maybe it even goes in deep, but it never really goes up. Because before it has a chance to mature, it gets choked. And Jesus explains what it gets choked by in verse 14, when he says, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear... But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Which is the part that's really scary for us, for us. It's probably the most serious threat. Because here's someone where it looks like God's word is taking root. And yet as they're living their life, that fruit that you thought you saw gets choked by what? Not by something really bad, actually, at first, but by the cares of life, the riches and pleasures of life, instead, which aren't in and of themselves something evil, but they are dangerous. That's the thing. And one reason they're dangerous is because you can only focus on so much as a human being. Your heart is like a cup. And so there's a limit. If a cup is filled with one thing, it can't be filled with something else. Or to say it another way, if you fill yourself up with cotton candy, it doesn't matter how good the food is because you're not hungry. You already ate. And a lot of people are stuffing themselves with the cares of this world. And so when the word of God comes, there's really no room in there for it. And it doesn't always seem like such a big deal to them. But I'll tell you, if you are constantly focused on the here and now, it is going to end up making your heart like cement. And the word of God is going to be like a basketball. And no matter how hard that basketball is thrown against the cement of your heart, it's going to rebound right off and make no impression on your mind. Because your mind is somewhere else and it's already full. And maybe sometimes for a while, actually, you're, you're, you're somehow, somehow you're convicted by the word of God and it wiggles its way in there and you know that it's right and that you've got to change. But the thing is, you only have so much time and energy. And because you're so busy using your time and your energy on pursuing other things, you don't have much left for doing what you know God calls you to do. And so you don't. You just do what seems easier instead. And you go back to work and hanging out with your friends and watching television and going to sporting events and raising your children. And slowly but surely, that concern about your soul doesn't seem as important anymore. And this is such a real problem, right? You know, it's not really fun to preach warning sermons like this, but it's important because there is an actual threat. Hearing the word of God is the greatest privilege in the world. And yet it is possible to be near the word of God, to hear the word of God, and yet not benefit. And this is one of the biggest reasons People trying to live the Christian life while consumed by the here and now. And you can't do it. It doesn't work. And it's hard, I know, to figure all this out, especially as people living in an affluent society and a busy society where there are so many things to do. And you wonder, maybe what does it, what does it look like to watch out for your soul exactly and not become distracted? And I, I don't have all the answers, but I think one thing it looks like, at the very least, is to watch out, <laughs> to take care, to at least recognize the danger of allowing the cares of the world, the riches and pleasures of life, to keep the word of God from having the impact on your life that it should. And you know, as parents, maybe I can take a moment and challenge 
you as well, because I think it's no wonder children walk away from the faith when they've gotten older. If we have trained them, pressured them to treat the cares of life, the riches and pleasures of this life as more important than God's word. Because you can only pretend to serve two masters so long. In the end, one is gonna win. So what do we do? What difference does this make? Knowing that people can be near the word of God, hear the word of God, hear the gospel and not benefit. Real quickly, one difference it's gonna make in someone who's a Christian is that he is going to take hearing God's word seriously. He's gonna watch out for the danger of being superficial. He's gonna lean into trials as an opportunity to demonstrate his faith. And he's gonna be careful not to allow his heart to get so filled up with the cares of this life because he knows that hearing God's word is a privilege and that warnings like this are reminders that we don't want to lose that privilege. We wanna be good soil. And what does good soil look like according to Jesus? It produces fruit, verse eight. That's probably the main thing. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. But what does that mean exactly? Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And we're gonna think about that a little more next week actually but it's not too complicated. A Christian holds fast because he loves Jesus. He recognizes Jesus for who he is. He believes, and as a result, he seeks to obey his word even when it's difficult. And you know, it is gonna be difficult. It's not always gonna be easy to do what Jesus wants us to do. And one of the difficulties is gonna be that we see many people who hear God's word around us and don't do anything. They're not transformed. And it can confuse us and cause us to doubt and slow us down. But we need to remember the problem is not with the word, the seed, it's with the soil. And so we've gotta keep obeying and we've gotta keep sharing it so that those with ears will hear because there is good soil out there. And I guess I'm just so glad that Jesus helped these disciples not become discouraged by the lack of response they were seeing at that moment from Israel because they did persevere and remain faithful, many of these men and women, to death, taking the gospel out, sowing the seed among the nations. And what happened? What happened is that we're here because of it. The word of God has power. It really does. We are privileged. We have been chosen to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And while there are gonna be some people who hear us and can't understand what we're saying because their hearts are hardened, their nature hasn't been transformed or they're just so distracted by the cares of, of this world, there are gonna be others. There are gonna be others where God uses this gospel to change their lives forever. And so let us hold fast and do what the disciples did and take this message out and see the way God uses it to turn the world upside down. Let's pray.